Pennsylvania has a long tradition of manufacturing centers. They called them ironworks, places where people came together to build things. This podcast is about building and sustaining our democracy. We call it Democracy Works. Well, welcome to Democracy Works. Uh, I'm Chris Beam. I'm the managing director of the McCourtney Institute for Democracy at Penn State. And uh, with me, uh, as always, is Michael Bergman, director of the McCourtney Institute. Uh, And today we're going to talk about uh, the issue of uh, gerrymandering and how it seems to have really become a serious and important issue uh, excited to talk about this today. We uh, we do hear a lot about redistricting these days. I prefer to use the term redistricting than gerrymandering. Gerrymandering uh, suggests something partisan or nefarious about redistricting. But as we know, every 10 years, states have to redraw their congressional districts as well as their state legislative districts. Uh, but you're right. Something seems to be different about them right now. So why don't we just start by just laying out kind of these terms and what this means and how it happens and and uh, how it is that this redistricting process becomes nefarious. Yes. So Constitution requires every 10 years that we take a census based on the census. Uh, we need to apportion seats around the states. You need to uh, roughly get the same number of constituents in every congressional seat. But every state is also guaranteed. Right. One representative. And then once it is determined how many seats a state's going to have, the state needs to draw the district lines and determine exactly, uh, well, what what legislative district each one of us is, uh, each person in the state falls into. So reapportionment is which state, based on the last census, gets how many districts. And so when people move south, for example, uh, from some Pennsylvania or New York to Texas or Florida, those um, congressional districts often go with them. Right. Sure. And at the macro level, you know, when you look at American politics over an extended period of time, what do you see? This sort of shift of power to the Sun Belt states, especially within the Republican Mm -hmm. Party. Mm -hmm. Why is that? It's because those are the areas that have made population gains. So California, Nevada, Texas, Florida have all picked up. Arizona picked up legislative seats. While Pennsylvania, uh, other Rust Belt states right. have Michigan, lost New legislative York, seats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So at the macro level, that has to do with the uh, you know balance of power right. within the uh, within the House of Representatives. Uh, but then within the state, they need to have some kind of method for drawing those districts, and this is really left uh, pretty vague by the Constitution. Well, the one thing that the Constitution absolutely demands is uh, equal representation. So these right. districts. Um, you know, they, anything more than a 1% differential in terms of uh, the, the number of people within these districts is unconstitutional. But beyond that, how those lines are drawn is really left, as you say, left up to the states. Right. And there are different methods for doing it. Some In Pennsylvania, we just it's just a regular law mm-hmm. passed by the legislature, signed by the governor. In other states, uh, California, for example, they use uh, commissions that are ostensibly uh, nonpartisan. Right. Most states use use just the the, the law process. Use some sort of, yes, a law or some sort of partisan, some sort Mm -hmm. of partisan Mm -hmm. process. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and that is something about American politics that is uh, that is that is problematic at times. And that is that in a range of areas, uh, partisan politics can dominate how election rules are drawn. The only other thing I want to add to that is that uh, politicians of any 
partisan identity uh, want to keep their jobs and don't want to work any harder to keep it than they have to. Right. And, and I think the beef against Jerry, against redistricting had long been this idea of incumbent protection, right. mm-hmm. that they're drawing districts. So you would often hear the phrase, uh, which you still hear, that politicians are choosing their voters instead of the other way right. around. And, you know, the truth in that is that they were able to draw districts that would, in, a, in effect, uh, protect incumbents. And, you know, this has come up some in the discussion with the Pennsylvania redistricting as well. But I think what's changed on this a bit, and especially after the 2010 election, right. is the recognition of the extent to which it can also be used to favor one party over another. Now, the reason this became so apparent is that and I think it's sometimes underappreciated quite the extent to which uh, the Republican Party, by by design, by years of planning, absolutely dominated the 2010 state-level elections. All right. Well, all this serves as pretty good background for us to uh, introduce um, uh, Jenna's interview. Chris Satulo is with uh, Fair Districts Pennsylvania. He's their civic engagement consultant, and uh, he's, he's devoted his career to, uh, to investigating this issue and um, um, supporting what he regards as a, a nonpartisan foundation for drawing these lines. Chris Satulo, thank you so much for joining us today on Democracy Works. Happy to be with you, Jenna. So there are, are three groups that are all working together to create a, a better map, as I understand it, not only for Pennsylvania's congressional districts, but also for the, the state house and um, state offices as well. So can you tell us about the, the Committee of 70, Fair Districts Pennsylvania, and Draw the Lines Pennsylvania, um, what each of those groups are and, and how they're all working together on these issues? Sure. So the Committee of 70 is um, a nonprofit that is Pennsylvania's oldest good government group, founded more than 100 years in Philly. Uh, It has worked on various issues of campaign finance, better elections, better information about elections for a long time. Um, One of its signal accomplishments a few years ago was actually getting involved in a statewide effort around the voter ID law and uh, opposing some efforts to use the voter ID law to limit um, some people's right to go to the polls. Um, Fair Districts PA is a grassroots organization that was formed about a year and a half, two years ago, um, to work uh, specifically on the redistricting anti-gerrymandering front. Uh, the Committee of 70 is one of the founding members of the coalition, along with Common Cause, League of Women Voters, and several other groups. And there's a, a very um, large array of, of sort of partners in the background supporting the effort. Um, the work of Fair Districts PA has been led by an incredibly dedicated um, volunteer named Carol Kuhnholm, who has just done an extraordinary job of traveling around the state, helping mm-hmm. to educate people on the issue. Um, Draw the Lines PA is a new initiative of us here at Committee of 70, which looks to um, connect with and support and sustain the work of um, Fair Districts PA. Um, Draw the Lines in particular is a program to take, um, to offer to every voter, every student across Pennsylvania the same digital tools and the same data that political operatives use to draw their crazy, tortured, grotesque maps and to put them in citizens' hands so they can draw maps, election maps of Pennsylvania that make sense to them and uphold their democratic values and would, in the end, be far more trusted by the voters than the maps we've been getting recently from the politicians. Great. Thank you for that that overview. 
Um, and so I want to take take a step back and, and talk a little bit about how we got here. So why did it, it take so long for for um, this effort to to kind of come to, to fruition to, to get the map changed? Um, to answer that question, Jen, I think I'm actually going to take us back a little. Okay. What changed dramatically in the last 20 years is the advent of computer technology and big data. Um, mapping software and big data, data about individual voters buying habits, not just a, election and political habits, but you know, do they belong to the Sierra Club or the NRA or whatever, mm -hmm. things that would give an indication of their political leanings. So that's why the map that was done in 2011, um, approved by a Republican-led General Assembly with some Democratic votes, um, to be fair, and then approved by a um, Republican governor, Tom Corbett, was essentially, in the entire country, the most state-of-the-art demonstration of what the power of big data and mapping software is to create partisan advantage. The effort to uh, change uh, the process and ultimately the map via lawsuit, I think, was spurred after the 2016 election. You know, you had a lot of Democrats and progressives shocked by that result and saying, what can we do? And I think to a degree that surprised me, uh, you know, as a journalist, I've covered this issue for years, decades. Mm -hmm. It certainly surprised me the degree to which people latched onto gerrymandering as a true root cause of what disappointed them in mm -hmm. government. But I think the 2016 election really spurred that realization for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah so I wonder if if 2016 had gone a different way, if we would be sitting here talking about this right now. Well, uh, that's a really fair question. Um, I, I'd like to assure you that uh, Committee of 70 and I personally would have been talking about this issue because, you know, it's been a concern of mine as a journalist covering these legislatures for a long time. Um, when I was, I was at the Philadelphia Inquirer um, 10 years ago when the last attempt to reform the redistricting process occurred, very similar constitutional amendment was proposed back then. And I wrote repeatedly about the attempt to get the uh, – the amendment through in the legislature, and it, it, it faced a grim fate. It died a quiet death in um, 2017, mm -hmm. uh, 2007 and 2008. So I've been, you know, very much concerned about this issue for a long time, but, you know, I didn't have as much company, and I do mm -hmm. think that the 2016 election created a kind of a wave of recognition on the part of mm -hmm. a lot of people. Yeah, and so you, you mentioned that um, back in, in 2011 that, um, there were Democrats that that voted for this map that was very clearly, uh, you know, stacked stacked against them. What what would have been their motivation for for doing that? It's it's quite simple uh, answer. It's that the map did uh, basically draw the lines primarily around Philadelphia in a way that assured certain key Democratic leaders in Philadelphia that they would never have to break a sweat to be reelected, specifically Chaka Fatah and Bob Brady, who are the um, were the two Congress people who primarily represented Philadelphia back mm -hmm. then. Um, and this is, you know, one of the th things that I, I like to emphasize uh, to get people to understand that concern about gerrymandering is not just purely a red-blue thing. It's not just, oh, you know, I want more, you know, blue seats, and so I'm upset. When you create districts like the ones Chaka Fatah and Bob Brady had in Philadelphia, you create a politician who never has to worry about 
getting reelected. That breeds complacency, which breeds arrogance, which frequently, not inevitably, but frequently breeds corruption. The goal here is not to create a bunch of safe Democratic seats because that's every bit as bad for democracy sure. as safe Republican seats. Yeah, just trying to make things more competitive all around. Yeah, the problem is entrenched political power. When you don't have to care about what the majority of people in your district think about you, um, that breeds um, either extreme ideological behavior or often corrupt behavior. And so speaking of, of the people, I know that the, the Draw the Lines initiative, as, as you mentioned earlier, seeks to give the people of, of Pennsylvania the, the, the power to work with these same tools that have been used to, to create gerrymandered maps, to kind of create them, um, you know, according to you know, give the, basically lets them kind of take the, the wheel into their own hands, so to speak. Um, so what what are you hoping people will do or, you know, why should people want to take part in, in this work? For many years, there's been sort of a curtain drawn over this process. And it seems like this very mystifying, arcane, incredibly complicated thing, you know, that only at the last minute does the wizard, you know, the wizards of, of politics, you know, pull back the curtain and let you see the map that they come up with. What we want to show people is if you have the right tools in your hand, it is not difficult. In fact, it's relatively easy to draw a common sense map of Pennsylvania. So once people get a chance to sit down with the same tools that the political operatives use, they'll be ready, willing, and able to take over the job. Our view is it's properly the job of the voters to draw these lines. An election is a job interview. And who sets the terms of a job interview? The mm -hmm. bosses should. And the voters are the bosses in a democracy. Right, yeah, and that, that ties in nicely to kind of one of the, the themes that we're talking about on this podcast is the idea of people coming together to, to build something. It you know, might not always be easy. You might not always agree every step of the way, but I think in, in, in this case it sounds like the, the process is perhaps just as valuable as, as the end result that, that's going to, to come from it in terms of you know, people work to, working together, talking together, gaining some understanding along the way. A lot of times people frustrated by, you know, what they've been getting out of politicians on the maps say, why don't you just let the algorithms do it? And there's no question. The election map ideally should be a statement of the democratic values of the people who are being represented. It's one of the ways they say, here's how we want to be represented. Essentially, what we've seen with the crazy congressional map that we have in Pennsylvania is if the only value you embed into your algorithm is my team has to win, that's the kind of map you're going to get. We want um, uh, a map that embeds better democratic values. We want fair competitive elections. We want communities of interest to be kept together, so on and so forth. Right. And so assuming this, this all goes according to plan, people are out there making these maps, doing their thing. We have all these great options. How then does, does the product of all that work make its way to the people who, who are actually responsible for what right. the, the, the state's new maps look like? One thing I should emphasize is a big, big focus of Draw the Lines will be getting um, this opportunity and this software and these tools into classrooms across Pennsylvania, both secondary school and uh, colleges, professional schools, law schools, and the like. Yeah, I was involved in that particular effort in states such as Virginia, Ohio, uh, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Um, and what we found there is students uh, really flock to this idea. They're digital mm -hmm. natives. These skills come naturally to them. So uh, we're creating a curriculum that teachers can use. It'll, you know, we're working with the Pennsylvania Department of Education, so it'll be a certified curriculum. 
that any public school teacher could use with confidence. And what we think is um, we're going to get thousands of people drawing maps. And then the next step is we're going to tell them how they can share their map with their local elected officials, their congressperson, their the elected representatives in Harrisburg. And that's the moment when this activity, which is civic education, becomes civic engagement and activism. Because it will be very hard for lawmakers to ignore a steady stream of really engaged, excited students and citizens and you know millennial um, voters coming to their offices saying, here's our map. It only took us two hours to do it. It makes so much more sense than what you did. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, we've got to do better. You've got to do better. Great. While that while all that's happening with with draw the lines, what what are kind of the the next steps on the the fair district side of the house? Well, there's a critical deadline coming up, June thirtieth, um, to um, begin the long march to passage of the constitutional amendment that fair districts has designed and has been pushing. One that would create independent citizens commissions to draw the lines both for Congress and state house. Um, because of how difficult it is to get a constitutional amendment passed in Pennsylvania, the bill has to pass for the first of two times by June 30th of this year. Mm -hmm. So all the energy of fair districts right now is on um, trying to make that happen. So uh, we don't know what will happen um, by June 30th, but if um, the unfortunate outcome is that the constitutional amendment fails at that point, we want people to know that the quest for reform is by no means dead. And there are any number of reforms in the process, the old process for doing the state house that would make a big difference. Uh, one of the key ones is just requiring that whoever is drawing the maps on the redistricting commission release publicly the data that they're going to use to draw those maps, say, six months you know, before the deadline for producing the maps. That would allow all the citizen mappers that we're talking about this access to the same data they're using, and they could begin to draw their proposed or sample maps and circulate them publicly on social media or hopefully be able to submit them formally to the redistricting commission as citizen testimony. Just doing that would change the process for the better. So I'm looking at, at a, a statement here from the, the Committee of 70. Um, one of the things in here talks about um, taking this this process out of the hands of, of partisan operatives and putting it into the hands of, of civic-minded voters. I'm, I'm curious what you know who you see as a, a civic-minded voter and, and what exactly that kind of power might look like for, for those voters. It's far trickier um, than you might think at first glance. Uh, as a model for what could happen in Pennsylvania, um, you might look to the other coast, to, uh, to California, where they do have an independent... Um, uh, citizens redistricting commission. One of the interesting things that California learned in trying to set that up is how much careful vetting of applicants to be on the commission so that what you'd have on there are people who are truly public spirited or mostly interested, you know, to, to um, cite the name of your podcast in doing something that helps democracy work mm-hmm. uh, and not in just having a blue map or a red map or a, a any sort of hooray for my team map, but one that really sets up voters to have real meaningful choices in a competitive election as often as humanly possible every two years. Are we heading or do we have the potential to be heading for just a crazy decade ahead of maps changing all the time and all these challenges and you know people kind of not knowing 
what's what or where their districts are or, or you know, where things stand? So in the short term, yes, a lot of confusion. Uh, in the long term, I think what we're seeing is the first glimmers of voters beginning to realize how significant um, this issue is in how disappointed and frustrated they are and what they get out of their state governments and out of Washington, D.C. And even beyond that, the first glimmer of understanding that we're, we are, because of computers and big data, in a wholly new era. And those weapons in the hands of partisan operatives do far more damage now than they ever could have done in the early part of the 20th century, or def- certainly in the 19th century. It's just a whole new ball game. So the only way to keep from going through this every 10 years is to change the rules of the ball game and have a citizen-driven process, not a pol- politician-driven process to draw the lines. Sure. And so those citizens out there, folks who, who might be listening to this, what is the one thing that, that everybody should do if they only have time or resources to, to kind of be able to, to take one step, one action, what, what should that be? Well, I won't give the self-interested answer if you'll let me do two things. Right now, they should contact their representatives in the state legislature, both Senate and um, House, and tell them they want them to vote for the constitutional amendment. Um, the second thing I would recommend they do is uh, include in their social media follows and on their bookmark list, uh, Draw the Lines PA. Our, we have a Twitter account, Facebook account, and website. And keep tabs on what we're doing and look forward to our launch of the software and our mapping contests in the fall. Because that's a way for citizens to get hands-on learning about how this stuff really works decide what values they want to map um, to uphold and to prove both to themselves and to everybody in Harrisburg that they are ready, willing, and able to do the job that voters should be doing. Wonderful. And I understand that that you have a podcast as well? Yeah. um, We actually uh, just finished taping um, our podcast, which is called 20 by 70. Um, we just spoke with Jonathan Lai, uh, the reporter for the Philadelphia Inquirer, has been doing a great job covering this whole gerrymandering case. So, um, blatant plug, you know, after you're done listening to Democracy Works, uh, check out 20 by 70. All right, wonderful. Well, Chris Tulo, thank you again for uh, taking the, the time today and for joining us on Democracy Works. Thanks so much, Jenna. It was a pleasure. Well, Fair Districts is doing some really interesting and important work, and uh, it's uh, you yeah, know they've, they've changed the politics in Pennsylvania. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> and they have people you know focusing and thinking about this. They mm-hmm. have school kids thinking about mm-hmm. it. They have everybody thinking about it. Uh, you know, they're raising important issues about how this should be done. And how it is should be something that citizens are aware of. Yes, and they also highlight another problem with redistricting, which is sometimes lost, and that's that you know in the United States. People tend to live uh, among people like themselves. Sure. I mean, we have generally fairly segregated mm-hmm. residential mm-hmm. patterns mm-hmm. in this state, and so Democrats in this country, right? Yeah. Around this country, right? So Democrats tend to live around Democrats, and Republicans mm-hmm. tend to live mm-hmm. around Republicans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, from a representational perspective, there's something to be said for uh, legislative districts that are somewhat homogenous. But in any case, I, I, you know, I think what you're you're what I would want to emphasize is the idea that if you have a district that is significantly 
Republican or significantly Democratic, you end up with significantly less incentive on the part of an individual voter to vote because the prospects for that person um, having an impact is just significantly reduced. Sure. There's an implication on both sides for how districts are drawn. By both sides, I mean on the on the side of the representative and on the side of the voter. Yes, mm-hmm. in a non-competitive district, uh, people are less likely to, to come out and vote, and, and, uh, and that's a problem. Right. And I would just say that if, if you're going to have politicians drawing the lines, they're going to look out for themselves rather than the voters. They're, they're more interested in keeping their job and making their reelection as easy as possible. And that's that's not a Democrat or Republican thing. That's a politician thing. Yes. Accepting the premise that what a voter wants is a competitive district. So the other thing that um, that is worth just mentioning is the um, is was Chris's idea that um, there's something uh, there's a real value, a civic value to giving uh, students, kids the opportunities to draw these maps, to learn about the uh, firsthand what these various objectives are and uh, and how those objectives play out in terms of actual drawing of lines. And I thought, you know, I think that's that's true. I think it is a really valuable civic lesson for these students. Right. And it's also hard to argue in a democracy that transparency isn't a good thing. And what you're essentially doing here is showing kids mm-hmm. uh, how the districts are drawn. They're going through the same process you know, with less sophisticated software. Although, you know, in this day and age, right. I can go on 538 and get pretty good software right, for right, drawing right. districts or some other kinds of sites. And, uh, you know, I know for the classroom, there are all kinds of simulations that you can use now. Yeah, that public mapping all... project is the other one, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so it's a transparency kind of mm-hmm. thing. People, mm-hmm. can, people can see what it is that their representatives are doing when they're drawing these districts. Uh, I think that's always a good thing for democracy. I think that's part of what makes democracy work. So uh, thanks for listening. Uh, This is Democracy Works. We really appreciate your attention and your interest, and uh, we'll see you next time.